Welcome to episode 22 of the Various and Sundry podcast. I am your host, Matt Harmon, joined in physical studio by my good friend and the man who is attempting to cultivate his green thumb, Mm -hmm. the man, the myth, the legend, John Sloat. Doc, what's going on? Are you feeling 22? That's a staggering number to me. (laughs) You know, when when we set out... Uh, to start this podcast, we weren't even sure if we would do this weekly. We kind of tentatively thought every other week, and then we're just like, "Why not? We we can talk this week about this." And it just kind of took a life of its own. It's easier to schedule that way too. If it's it just is. something you do every week, you it know. is. Yeah. It is. So we are on um, episode twenty-two, which is so so far we've not missed a week since we started in we, january we have not now that's been helped by canceled trips and canceled <laughs> conferences and all sorts of things indeed you know? indeed so eventually the streak will end yeah yeah but but we could put one in the we can make it maybe 52 episodes without missing yeah. a week but potentially yeah we'll see we'll see christmas will be interesting yes yes and so uh we want to encourage you to reach out to us on twitter at V and S pod. And we have had a couple people reach out uh, in the last week to connect with us via Twitter. We've got our email, various and sundry podcast at gmail.com. And of course, our Facebook page. So you could do us a, a definite solid by giving us a like on that and also following it. Mm-hmm. And as we post about episodes, you know, hitting the share button always helps as well. Hitting the share button or even commenting on a post that we have yep. uh, helps other people find the show. Absolutely. And uh, we we have a bit of an awkward confrontation here to, <laughs> to uh, approach our, our, our listeners with. We have gone a few weeks now without a new review. And so um, we certainly want to ask you to, if you're enjoying the podcast, write a review, throw us a five-star rating. And uh, that does help other people find the podcast who otherwise might not. So we do appreciate those who have. And who knows? We might even talk about your review. I mean, the last one we, we discussed briefly yeah. whether we're quirky or not and yeah. how we feel about that. So, But as we, uh, as we transition into um, the sports world, still not much going on in terms of actual sports – Though we've been informed that uh, <laughs> apparently there's European soccer going on that, yeah, that that we're that not we have covering. no interest in talking yeah. about. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, um, you want to give us an update on what Major League Baseball is thinking about here when it comes to restarting the season? Yeah, of, of all the sports, I think baseball needs to come back maybe the most. It could really use the boost from viewership, um, particularly for its regular season. I think it does pretty well in the postseason, but uh, the owners. This week, this last week, came out with a proposal of like, hey, here's here's a business plan to make this work. And it really slashed players' salaries, uh, particularly though I think everybody was taking a 50% cut, but those at the top uh, were taking close to an 80% cut. Wow. Um, and this is uh, a way for the owners to share the lost revenue with the players. And I just don't think the players are interested in sharing lost revenue with the owners. Um, and so you have uh, billionaires and millionaires uh, duking it out, which is uh, which is everybody's favorite pastime. Yeah. So, and again, I it's one of those things where you at one level you think, wow, man, like a fifty percent pay cut. That's 
that's significant. You know, to to I'm sure all of our listeners, sure. if, if you were approached with, here's a 50% pay cut, there'd be a, oof, that's yeah. a big deal. But it's a little harder to be sympathetic when it's like, oh, so instead of making $20 million, I'm only making $10 million this year. The public sympathy is not exactly going to be like, oh, yeah, I'm so sorry. That That's really tough. I, I hope you'll find a way to live on that paltry sum of $10 million instead of $20 million this year. Well, and then the other side of that coin is the owners, right? The owners are making $15 billion instead of $30 billion, yeah. you know? Um, and so I—, I I personally believe the owners are in the wrong here because, you know, if they will take the cut, we'll gain more fans and down the road, we'll end up making more money. I, I think that's think. the smart move, but you I don't think I don't think they're willing to do that. It'll, it'll be interesting to see how that all shakes out. But um, did you watch part two of the 30 for 30 on Lance Armstrong? Yeah, watched it. Uh, watched it last night. And uh, it was it was something. <laughs> Yep, it just further confirmed that um, Lance Armstrong is not a nice human being. Well, in every question he gets asked through through both through both parts, his eyes just grow, and you can see it rolling through his mind. How do I spin this? Yeah. How do I say this in the most positive way yeah. to myself? Here's the moment that stood out to me the most out of all of this. They showed a clip of Lance addressing uh so his son plays football at tcu mm-hmm. no rice sorry rice rice, rice. yeah um knew it was one of those texas schools so rice and he's talking up there and you know kind of giving the motivational rah rah and he says um i'm really proud of number 48 yeah i think that was right 48 yes i know exactly what you're talking about and the, the they show the shot of his kid and he's uncomfortable. And at first you're like, maybe he's just uncomfortable because there are cameras being, in the room. Right, he's being singled yeah. out. Okay. And then afterwards, they're having a private conversation. And his kid tells him, Yeah, actually I'm number 35. Yeah. Not even not even close. <laughs> and you're just like, oh my gosh. Like, how embarrassing as a parent. And what does that tell you about the nature of their relationship? Oh, yeah. The, that he that he just doesn't have much of a relationship. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't fathom being involved in your kid's life at the sports world and not knowing his number. Yeah. That just seems like, you know, Or not, not knowing the team cheer. To, to That's the sort of thing you get ahead of time. Yeah. And then you use. But he's like, hey, coach, what, what, what do I say to get them riled up? Yeah. You know? It was just it. It was awkward. Yeah, and it was clear that he's he's still trying to fake that he's uh, this seven time winner of the Tour de France, which, which sure. I suppose he is. But I think he's been he's had those taken away at this yeah. point. But what does what does that mean? You know, right? And the, the other piece of that interaction with um, uh, in in regards to his son, when he was asked if your son came to you and said, "Dad, I want to use performance enhancing." drugs mm-hmm. and his answer was not a no don't do it it was a well he's in college now so that wouldn't be a smart thing but, but we'd have a different conversation pros. if he was in the pros yeah it's like wow i mean at one level i want to say props to you for being honest fine you know but it was just staggering but here, here here's my my take on it in the sense that like 
he's sitting there doing these interviews. He's living in beautiful houses, beautiful homes. He a couple li- of them. He does interviews in a couple of different yeah. homes, and they are all stunning. Lives in lives a, an exceptionally comfortable existence financially, mm-hmm. and you think, you know what? It was probably worth it for him on a worldly level. From a worldly level, you can make the case it was worth it. Yeah. W- would he have that life if he w- if he didn't dope and he was just an ordinary American cyclist? Of course not. Yeah. But he chose to engage in this and was successful in a realm where basically everybody else was doing similar things. Right. He just did it better than everybody else and did it longer than everybody else and lied about it longer than anybody else. Correct. Correct. And yeah, did he lose some lawsuits and did he get dragged through the mud and his is his name dirt in a lot in, in most of America? Sure. But they, they did make the point, and I, I thought this was interesting, that his cancer uh, group is still seen as like, oh man, that was yeah. great. It was great to build awareness, make it okay to talk about, uh, t- 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 I'm not going to say it right, testicular cancer. There we go. We got it. And uh, and, and and other cancers, right? Um, he made it, he, he moved the conversation along yeah. uh, and made, uh, made significant contributions to that foundation. And then they talked about even how he went to Nike and told them that they, if he was going to be their athlete, that they were going to have to make significant contributions to them. Right. Um, so he's he's a terrible figure, a terrible role model. But he's he's also a little bit more complicated. Um, That's true. In, in 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 that way. But even then, there was the pushback of you were just using that as cover. To deflect suspicion towards you, yes, right, yes. and so there's the whole. There's even a point in in the episode where there's the question posed, not to Lance, but to somebody else, of like, I don't know whether to think this is a basically good person who did some awful things, or this is an awful person who's done some good things, right? And and I think at one point he even said, I used cancer as something to hide behind so I wouldn't get in trouble yeah. uh, for doping. But he would say, "I didn't use my Livestrong organization." Yeah, that that's a that's a nuance that I think I, I want to call. I think I want to call BS on. Yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Matt Harmon, first one to swear uh, on the podcast. Uh, but yeah, I think those two things are are inseparable. Yeah. But I do remember. Do you remember the yellow wristbands? Oh, sure, sure. Um, I remember everybody wearing a yellow wristband. Yeah. I remember it was huge. I re- and I mean, they highlight they uh, they shone a light on the fact that even John Kerry, while he was running for president, yeah, was wearing that yellow wristband. Yeah, absolutely. So it is very. It, it's a it's a complicated story in a lot of ways. Yes, and I, you know, I think he he makes a bit of a. I think he makes a good point when he's like. This cyclist and this cyclist are revered in their countries yeah. for winning the Tour de France, even though they were a part of this. Yep. And then other people they have tarnished because of the same thing. Yeah, obviously, I, I, I know almost nothing about the cycling world beyond— uh, It involves bicycles. Yeah, yeah, beyond Lance Armstrong. <laughs> and I, I had heard of uh, Greg LeMond before him. Yeah. But uh, was, it the, was it Jan Ulrich? He was the German who, after he was basically caught doping, had— like a, co- a complete mental breakdown was institutionalized. And, yeah. you know, they show him, go- so show Lance going to try to encourage and, you know, talk to him and that kind of thing. And 
you know, at the end, they had the little blurb on the screen of, you know, he's out of the mental institution now and kind of recovering with his family and living in kind of not in isolation, but just, you know, off the grid a little bit more and with his family. And so, but, and, and then <laughs> the fact that he's, he's dating this woman, that, that was just fascinating to me. This for, woman for 10 plus years. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And you think, okay, that she stuck around. Yeah. I mean, they met in, they met apparently in the sort of cancer awareness world of activism and that kind of thing. The, the scene and where, where they're preparing dinner together. <laughs> yes. And Lance has apparently never used a potato peeler right. in his life, <laughs> which is, which is just a whole nother thing. Right. And then awkwardly cuts his finger. Yeah. On camera. Yeah. And then wraps it and is making jokes. Oh, who's going to eat the piece of my finger in the salad? Yeah. You know, just like, oh my, it was just weird. Yeah. It was, it was, it was not good. And then there are interviews where he's got a bandaged finger. Like, you know, it's happening the next day where they're. Well, right. My wife had noticed something on that finger and she'd asked like, do you see that? Like, cause it would occasionally, like when his hand would come up, it would, you know, flash into view just for a second. I'm like, I think I see what you're talking about, you know? And yeah. then, like, two minutes later, they they play the story of him, you know, slicing his finger there. <laughs> what a weird—it was a very weird part of the doc, but it was also—it was an also—it was also interesting to see, like, even to his family, he's, he's making comments, trying to be liked, and this is kind of—I mean, at least I was repulsed in that moment where I'm like, dude, you're, you're sick. Yeah. <laughs> You're yeah. you're just so unlikable. Yeah, there's definitely an element of of sadness there, um, but yeah, it just that was a fascinating story. I appreciated that. In contrast to the Last Dance, it was definitely not a Lance Armstrong propaganda piece. Yes, it was not a puff piece. No, it was not. <laughs> so, well, we have an unfortunate special announcement yeah. this week. So last week we had announced that we were going to read a book together, Dane Ortland's book, Gentle and Lowly. And because of the power of our media empire that mm-hmm. we have created here at the Various and Sundry podcast, that book is basically unavailable anywhere seemingly in the world except for in Kindle form. Yeah, you can get it on, on Kindle for $8 or you can, I, I think one listener commented that it was $51 elsewhere. Um, Christian Books isn't going to have it until the end of the month, or the yeah. 15th maybe. And then uh, Crossway isn't going to have it for, the publisher isn't going to have it for several more weeks. So yeah. here we are. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, it makes me wonder, Should I, is this a time for me? Is this like a stock? Should I sell my copy high now and you know replenish later? That's one option. <laughs> I wouldn't do that. So what we're saying is we're going to push back instead of starting yeah. next week to read through this book. We're going to do it sometime in July, we think, depending on availability. Yeah, we, we want people to be able to read along. Not everybody likes Kindle or, or yeah. reads Kindle well. So uh, we, we're going to push it back to pro- at least the first week of July with more information coming Yeah, at, uh, least, at least in the next couple of weeks as, as the book becomes more available again. Yeah, absolutely. So – Take note of that. And that brings us to our main topic for uh, today, 
And that is the topic of deconversion stories. Yeah. And this is something um, that somebody brought to our attention uh, that they would like to hear something on this. Probably two or three weeks after we started broadcasting, two or three episodes in maybe, um, I remember a student coming to me going like, hey, you guys should talk about this. And you and I kind of going, that's a great topic. We don't feel prepared for it. And, yeah. and I'm not sure I feel any more prepared for it now, but it's it's kind of been something that's come up again and again and yep. again. Uh, so I think we're going to try to deal with it a little bit and talk about it and, and really talk through four cases uh, that we've seen. Uh, two of them go together, but... right. Um, and and just try to explore it a little bit, and then and then notice some themes and questions. And then I think the plan is, and correct me if I'm wrong, is to revisit it again next week with uh, with some more thoughts and yeah. Uh, discussion. Yeah, I mean we're making this up as we go, but that's the that's the initial plan here to talk about these different deconversion experiences, and then come back next week and talk through a little bit more in terms of how should we think about them? Is there anything that we should be doing in our homes and in our churches to help minimize the um, the likelihood that this will happen? Hmm. Um, get into some of the theological considerations there as well. But those are considerations more for next week. Yeah. So uh, I, th- I thought it would be helpful— for us to start with a uh, just a basic definition, just so we're clear on what we're talking about here. And so um, my stab at this was something along the lines of these deconversion stories or deconversion narratives are personal narratives of people who at one point identified themselves as believers, as Christians, but have since turned away from the faith and no longer consider themselves Christians. Trying to keep it as simple as possible, yeah. And and these these narratives have become something of a cultural phenomena mm-hmm. of late within the last few years, I think, and even within the last year now, you've got several relatively prominent Christians essentially announcing, typically on social media, that uh, they no longer are Christians, mm-hmm. and they kind of walk through their journey, their story of how they went from professing faith in Christ to no longer being comfortable calling themselves a Christian, identify themselves as a Christian. So uh, do you want to just sort of work through these examples here or? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, we're, we're going to, maybe we put all four of them out there and then uh, and then yeah, begin. That's it. fine. So the, the four we'll talk about are uh, Joshua Harris, um, prominent Pastor from the Maryland area, I believe. Originally, yep. And then, uh, and then Rhett and Link, uh, who have a, have a very popular podcast in our YouTube sensations. Okay. Um, and then, uh, and then John Steingard, I believe is how that's pronounced. Uh, he's the lead singer of Hawk Nelson, which I listened to in high school. But as we discussed earlier, I I can't name a single song that they wrote or anything. But but I do remember the band. I do remember listening to them, and I do remember going, "That's a Christian band." When I was okay. in high school. So um, those, those are the four. Um, let's take them in order. Uh, Joshua Harris. What do, you, what do you know about Joshua and, yeah. and uh, what, what, what part of his backstory do you know? Yeah, so um, I think he made his announcement, uh, was this back in fall or 
late, last, late fall last, last year? Last summer, I think. It was last summer? Yeah. Okay. And he, he has an interesting backstory because he was uh, a pastor in Maryland, and he was most well-known, though, for writing the book, I Kissed Dating Goodbye. Yeah. Which was a sensation within the uh, evangelical subculture. Mm-hmm. That basically he wrote this book, and I think he was like 21, 20, 21 20, when he, he wrote was, this book. He was very young. Yeah. Super young, which, you know, and anyone that young giving advice on dating feels maybe a bit premature. Mm-hmm. But in any case, um, it took off like a, uh, like a forest fire. Uh, in the evangelical subculture because it was very critical of the sort of casual dating and and that sort of thing and kind of led to the whole courtship movement and and that and those kinds of things and and he was moved pretty quickly into a position of leadership within his local church that was part of the sovereign grace uh, church's movement mm-hmm. under uh, CJ Mahaney there in, in, I think it's the Baltimore area or outside of Baltimore, is it? Somewhere in Maryland there. Yeah, somewhere in Maryland. And um, eventually when C.J. Mahaney passed the torch, he passed it, passed it to this Joshua Harris, who led the church for a while. And then I want to say about four years ago, four that or five years ago. sounds right, yeah. He stepped aside and said, I want to go to seminary because he never went to seminary before that. And I think he went to Regent up in uh, Vancouver. I think. Yeah. No, that's right. Yeah, he went. He went up there, and I've seen a lot of people draw the line that he went about as far away from Maryland as possible right. without leaving the <laughs> continent. Right. Sure. So he went. Sure. He went to the exact opposite end. Yeah, and was in seminary there for a while. I don't know if he ever finished. I'm not aware of, of if, if he did or not. I, d- I don't know. But then about um, maybe 18 months ago. It was, yeah. it was like six months before the announcement that he was walking away from the faith. He announced that he and his wife were um, were separating. Yeah. And even before that, he had started to announce some of these. He kind of come out and, and backtracked. And as he would put it, he repented of his views on dating and some of the sort of um, – you know, marriage and even even to some degree softened on his some of his views on sexuality and the biblical picture of sexuality and that kind of thing. And so, but the sort of the the big bang was him announcing, basically saying, by no definition of the term do I consider myself a Christian. Yeah, and I, I think mixed in with that was a documentary apologizing for his book, I guess stating goodbye. Yeah. As well. Yeah. Um, I can't remember if that happened before the announcement of him and his wife separating, but but it was it was in the mix there. Yeah. So it was it was a pretty major three to six months where he has this documentary come out where he is literally listening to people's stories about how his book and his teachings ruined not ruined their lives that's harmed them harmed them. them yeah yeah and then him and his wife have separated uh, and then he he has this I'm no longer a Christian which. Um, and, and if I remember the post, he's like so, hiking somewhere in British Columbia, I'm sure, you know. Oh, it's the totally, it's the totally the staged Insta 
picture, yeah. right? It's the not looking directly at the camera. It's kind of over his shoulder, I think. And it's this beautiful mm-hmm. lake up in the mountains. And it's intended to communicate the, you know, the sort of I'm at peace. Tranquility. Finally, exactly. Yeah. Um, I've gone into the woods to find myself. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. So that's a summary of Joshua Harris there. Obviously, we could say more. But, yeah. Um, what about Rhett and Link? You've done more uh, deep dive into this than I have. Yeah. If you're interested in their story, their story is on YouTube, and uh, they have a podcast called Ear Biscuits. Um, it's a good title. That, that it's a, I suppose it's a good title. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, so Rhett and Link, and you got to deal with them together because uh, they were essentially grew up in the same church. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, eventually went on, goodness, and we're skipping a lot, but eventually went to college and were a part of crew yep. um, in college, joined staff with crew after college, and while on staff with crew, began a YouTube channel called uh, um, Mythical Morning or something along those lines. Uh, like they call all their listeners Mythical Beast um, mm-hmm. as well, and and uh, in, in in the midst of this, they're having conversations privately about, um, particularly read about uh, evolution, Christian science. Is it real? Is it not real? And and basically, beginning there, it began to undermine the: Is the Old Testament true? Is hell real? Mm-hmm. What do we do with LGBTQ people? And that, that's a little bit of Red's story. Link's story is less intellectual mm-hmm. uh, and more like. I've been feeling guilt over the fact that I don't have a great relationship with Jesus, and yet I am a professional Christian, right? Uh, and and I don't know how to put these two things together, and that that led him more to uh, move away from the Christian faith uh, slowly but surely. And and both those guys were are married uh, to Christian women, uh, and I believe that the Christian women have have since left the faith faith as well. Mm. Um, and are no longer taking their kids to church and those sorts of things, and yeah. um, have basically landed on we don't need scripture in order to live flourishing. You know, you know, like I'm, they're like, I'm not going to start cheating on my wife because I've left the faith, or I'm, I'm right. not going to be about not raising my kid well. And they they would point to like friends of theirs who are not Christians, they're like that guy loves his partner, that girl loves her husband. You know, they're raising their kids well. Yeah, you know they they don't absolutely need this. So that's uh, that's very very truncated. Rhett and Link, their podcast episodes, each of them take about somewhere between ninety minutes and two hours to tell wow. the full story, and it's quite long. Um, yeah. So if you, if you're interested, you go check it out. Ear biscuits. Yeah, and I, and I confess that um, they were not on my radar. So that even when this story broke, was this back in February, maybe. So longer than that? No, that's about right because that's when Rhett and Link came out. I remember that's when a couple of students came to me at least and said, "You guys should do an episode about about Rhett and Link or you know something like that." Yeah, and so it, that one hit a little though. Ironically, it hit a little closer to home to me in the fact that they were on staff with Crew, which I was on staff with Crew. Yeah. So I feel like I have some sense of the the Crew culture, though my knowledge of that is a little dated now. But. Um, what what years were you on staff with the crew? Uh, technically, from ninety five to two thousand three. Okay, they started on crew, I believe, two thousand. Yeah, two thousand, maybe two thousand one. So you would have overlapped a little bit. They would have been in the southeast, probably North. Carolina yeah, and area. they weren't a big deal yet at yeah. that point. Though it was interesting that 
kind of how they got their start was they were doing something kind of outside the box from within crew, meaning they weren't as much the traditional, you raise financial support, you work on a specific college campus, you do discipleship and evangelism on a particular Mm -hmm. college campus and do it that way. They, from the beginning, I think this is correct, had had almost a they, – they were involved with more of the conference piece and the like – entertainment seems like a, a strong word, but, but – It's eventually where they ended up. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and so they kind of had their own unique kind of ministry within that, but that was before uh, – I, I had left staff, I think, before they had become a really big Really, deal. really big deal, yeah. And they obviously, I mean, they've been on Jimmy Fallon. They, they've they've done quite well yes. in the entertainment world. Correct, correct. Um, and then uh, this last one here, John Steingard from Hawk Nelson, which, which he came out this week. I'm not sure either of us know too much about him. Correct. So I I, I did read through his Instagram posts. Yeah. Regarding this topic, and uh, he apparently is a pastor's kid. Grew up in the church. I don't know necessarily what specific kind of background that was. It sounded like uh, he, he gave very much the impression of if the church doors were open, they were there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so it gave the impression of Sunday morning, Sunday nights, Wednesday nights, uh, youth group, all these kinds of things. And, you know, he made some interesting statements as I was sort of scrolling through his his uh, statements on Instagram. Um he made the comment, when you grow up in a community that holds a shared belief, and that shared belief is so incredibly central to everything, you simply adopt it. Hmm. So he, it was in the context of him talking about, I had some of these doubts, even, you know, the whole praying thing felt like I was just kind of talking to an imaginary friend. It felt very artificial, felt very forced and fake to him. But that was the culture he was in, and he's just kind of one of those fake it till you make it kind of approaches of, well, that, this feels fake, but... It's kind of going to go with it, and maybe it'll come around. Um, and then he, he goes on to talk about, you know, initially his involvement with the band Hawk Nelson and how he was basically um, enjoying it, but over time just growing more and more uncomfortable with some of the more explicit professions of Christian faith that were becoming part of their music and sorting through some of his doubts and that mm. kind of thing. Um he makes the comment that everything Christian felt like obligation rather than enjoyment. Hmm. And so he was—and he does make the interesting point of—and this is fair, I think, that one of the dangers with public Christians, in other words, Christians who have this sort of public following, whether it's in music, whether it's in entertainment, whether it's in ministry itself, it creates this pressure to be a certain person that you may not actually be on the inside and to maintain this persona when internally you've got questions, you've got doubts, you've got concerns. And he even basically says, I've had plenty of conversations with prominent Christian people in, in the business, so to speak, who have similar doubts and concerns that I have, but because their livelihood is tied to their position they're they'll never come out and say it, or they're terrified to do that. Yeah. No. And that, that makes, that makes sense to me, right? It does. When when your livelihood is tied to something, yeah, it'd be yeah. very difficult to walk away. Yeah, and he, he kind of lands the plane on the as people have kind of reached out to him, and he basically just says, "Why couldn't 
he says, if I could say anything to God, I'd say, why couldn't you have been more obvious? Why all the mystery? Why all the silence? It is obvious people say, uh, if it is as obvious as people say it is, why do millions and millions not see it? Hmm. That was kind of his landing point of, I've asked God, show yourself to me. And it doesn't seem obvious to me. And obviously millions of people agree with me that it's not obvious to them. And so I just am sort of walking away and kind yeah. of lands in the agnostic camp is where he kind of says, I'm not crazy about labels, but, you know, I'm not re- – I am i cannot definitively say God does not exist, but mm-hmm. I I don't know. And that's that's very much where Rhett lands um, in his in his journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, Link was a little bit more definitive, but but Rhett certainly landed in the like I'm sort of agnostic. I, I don't know how this is possible, um, but yeah, very very similar place. Uh, so uh, Doc is the uh, PhD holding person among us. What are what are some threads we see here? What are what are some similarities between these uh, sure. between these four? Um, just as we're even talking through this story, what are some what are some things that come up? Yeah, I I don't know. Again, some of these are going to be true across the board, and others are going to be, well, that doesn't necessarily apply to one or the other. Sure. But it does seem like that um, in all of these examples of Joshua Harris, Rhett, and Link, and then John Steingard, that there was a – that they were put into positions of influence yeah. rather quickly or young mm-hmm. and often without uh, necessarily – grounding or ongoing sort of pursuit of getting them grounded in in scripture and those sorts of things. Again, there are nuances in that, right? Like I'm not trying to say that they weren't yeah. having quiet time, so they weren't reading their Bibles. I'm not saying that. But there was definitely a, ooh, you're someone that could be influential. Let's move you into a position to facilitate a platform for you. Yeah, and it, it, a little bit of a runaway train. Like yeah. it, it started going, and it got out of control. Exactly. It, it, it went off the tracks. Right. And um, it seems like in all of these cases as well, there was an underlying um, set of questions and doubts mm-hmm. that they dealt with in various ways. It sounds like some of them actually did sort of pursue and try to say, okay, well, um, let me see if I can find some answers to my doubts, right? Yeah. I mean, you, I think you were noting that was it, I can't remember was, whether it was Rhett or Link who... Yeah, Rhett was reading quite a bit, particularly in the area of evolution, Christian science, mm-hmm. uh, so, some, of, some of those things is really where his doubts um, really se- seemed to begin. Yeah. Yeah, and... It does raise the question of were they in contexts where those not 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 necessarily were those did were they able to ask questions, but even what what's hard to know is were some of those doubts how were they handled by others around them? Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, there seems to be, uh, um, and I think it's probably more caught than explicitly taught, but there seems to be this idea that like. Hey, we don't question the party line here. Yeah, you know, we 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 these are the things that we believe, and this is the parameter, and we we don't have doubts, we don't question those things. And I, I would say, I think in all four of these situations, it sounds like these doubts 
certainly in Retin Link and uh, Steingard, these doubts were really underground for a long time, mm-hmm. known to either just them or a small circle, yeah. um, and weren't really... Uh, there, there, there's both the, they didn't bring it forward, and then there's also, they weren't, uh, they didn't feel like they were necessarily in a um, in a space or a Christian community that encouraged uh, some of that dialogue around yeah. skepticism or doubt. Yep. And I think maybe um, another major piece of this that I see is the, um, is just the, the cultural pressure, the cultural moment that we live in, yeah, and that that pressure takes multiple forms. There, it, it can be very direct, but it can also be very subtle. In mm-hmm. other words, especially, and and everyone except for Joshua Harris, uh, the you know Rhett and Link, and then this uh, and and John Steingard, um, they're in the entertainment culture, mm-hmm. and the, if there's a culture that is uh, more anti. Uh, Christian when it comes to some of the moral positions that historic Christianity holds. I'm not aware of it. (laughs) Yeah. Because the whole entertainment culture is inclusive in that Mm -hmm. sense of the term of uh, wanting, especially on issues of uh, LGBTQ and um, and, and tolerance in terms of not saying someone... uh, is going to hell if they don't believe the way you do. That's very narrow. There's also the sort of cultural political moment of, for however you want to sort this out, that uh, evangelicalism in the minds of many in the secular realm is tightly wedded to conservative politics. Mm-hmm. And so as a result of that, you've got, since the, the sort of entertainment cultural is deeply politically liberal across mm-hmm. the board with a, a, you know occasional exceptions mm-hmm. but even those you, you just kind of hear whispers about like oh, actually that 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 actor he, he might actually be conservative and I'm like what you know the assumption is the party line of very liberal politics and mm-hmm. cultural values and so it, it's hard not to see that as exerting a constant pressure on them that if you're in the entertainment world at any level, that there's that push, there's that pressure of different uh, degrees. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, yeah. I think that uh, particularly the Rhett, Link, and John would certainly feel that. But it comes out in Joshua Harris's stuff as as, as well. I mean, the the um, the LGBT uh, piece is, is certainly a major part of his story, and not not from personal experience, as far as I know, but from the way that he sees the church treat uh, mm-hmm. members of the LGBT. And I, I would say Rhett and Link uh, bring that up as well, as how um, these people were treated in the midst of a in the midst of a struggle or in the midst of uh, uh, of their uh, orientation, how, yeah. they, how, they were, how they were treated. Yep, absolutely. And I'll throw probably one more in there, is at some level uh, questions about the Bible. Mm-hmm. Now, those look different depending on the on the situation. But there seems to be an underlying uh, set of questions about uh, the reliability of the Bible, uh, its inspiration, its inerrancy, those kinds of questions are can it can it be trusted, those kinds of things. And there's there's one there's one level, and maybe you can rebuke me if I'm wrong here, but uh, there's one level where I'm like, good, 
ask questions about the Bible and its authenticity and all these things. Uh, we, we encourage people to do that, right? Mm-hmm. We encourage people to seek out those answers. And yeah. uh, I think the majority of Christians that step into that conversation, and maybe I'm overstepping here, would would find it uh, uh, to hold water. It was, yep. seems to seems to be yeah. This is authoritative. This is ultimately good yep. um, and accepted. But we obviously have some ex- exceptions as well, and some people who turn away. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I think that's a good place for us to break this episode on in terms of this topic. Yeah. And then when we circle back to this next week in our next episode, we will uh, try to try to think biblically and theologically about how should we evaluate those things? Are there things that we can be doing in our churches, in our homes to try to, um, you know, vaccinate people? Mm-hmm. Oh boy. <laughs> did I go there? I did. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that, that helps them build up an immunity to some of those kinds of a, a knowledgeable immunity, not an ignorant sort of, you know, head in the sand kind of immunity, but yeah. And then, uh, Kind of even just how should we maybe even think about how should we interact with people as they have questions, as they're, as we see potentially them on that path, mm. and even just those who are already there to say, how do we try to love them well, pray them back, woo them back, etc. Yeah. So, well, I don't know that there's an easy transition, so um, athlete. Athlete, <laughs> yeah, so... Uh, we really have three, and in, a, in a Ohio State uh, player. So uh, I'll go over the three if you want to do the Ohio State player. Sure. But uh, war the number 22, uh, we have Emmett Smith, a great, great running back for the Dallas Cowboys. Yes, he is the all-time leading rusher I in NFL so. history. Yeah. I believe so, yeah. believe that's right, yep. Um, uh, Ricky Henderson, uh, the baseball player, who always spoke of himself in the third person. Of course, yes. Ricky's going to steal a base. Um <laughs> And then uh, the basketball player Clyde Drexler, yeah, uh, who was who was quite good, but obviously overshadowed by Michael Jordan during yes, that era. Indeed, indeed. And who is our Ohio State? Uh, uh, yeah. Pandering? So for our Ohio State uh, athlete, we're going to go with Jim Jackson, who is a basketball player. So a little little departure there. Um, part of what gives me my fondness for Jim Jackson is he went to school in Toledo. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is not too oh, far away from yeah. where I grew up. And Good I old actually, Napoleon, Ohio. Yeah, he was, um, I think, a couple years older than me. And uh, I remember as a sophomore in high school, our basketball team scrimmaged his team. Now, I was not on the varsity, so okay. I, didn't, I wasn't actually out <laughs> on the floor, but I got to watch. <laughs> and he made our best player just look stupid. <laughs> I mean, I mean, here's this. Okay. I mean, he was a he was a top tier D one recruit, and played at Ohio State. I think maybe a couple years was a incredibly gifted passer, um, good scorer. Went on to play in the NBA with the Dallas Mavericks and had a a very successful NBA career. Not a like elite star level, but sure. but one of those. He's very good as assistant an starter. I think he even might have, might have even made some all-star teams. Okay. Uh, so um, what, which athlete are we picking here? Well, we've not discussed this beforehand. So um, are there any you're willing to eliminate? Um, I'm probably willing to eliminate Clyde. Okay. Uh, 
and then and then for me it's between Emmett, who is is a, one of the greatest running backs of all time. Yeah, and then uh, Ricky Henderson because he's fascinating. <laughs> yeah, I I think I would probably lean towards Emmett, though R- Ricky Henderson is definitely the bigger personality. Oh yeah, oh yeah, Ricky Henderson's a lot of fun. But we can go Emmett. We can go Emmett. Great yeah. running back. I mean, all-time leading rusher in NFL history. Hard to go wrong with that, yeah, right? Absolutely. All right. One thing we liked. Yeah. Doc, what do you got? Yeah. So last night we had our first summer reading group meeting, and we are reading the book by Daniel Firth entitled Including the Stranger, Foreigners in the Former Prophets. So basically in the historical books, Joshua, Judges, etc. And we had our discussion last night, and that book is just fantastic. It's I mean, really, we're only, really good. only a couple chapters in, and it is so good. It's illuminating in so many ways about things that you read in Joshua that you may not necessarily catch the significance of. Yeah. So I hope it continues. I hope he continues to just I know, drop that's my bombs fear. like that. Yeah. That's my fear is that he had such a strong chapter to start and you're like, it builds your anticipation. How can this continue? And then you get to, <laughs> and he's going to drop a dud on us in a, in a chapter, yeah. but I'm, I'm optimistic that he, he'll keep it up. So what about you? Uh, yeah. So um, this week, uh, my lawn is getting installed, so me and yes. Andrea bought a new house, and uh, we woke up this morning to bulldozers in our yard as they're getting ready to put in grass, and uh, so that's uh, we're we're very excited about that. Also, a shout out to my father in law, who's a listener, uh, is sending us a number of more bacteria. More, not we have the bacteria, but there's some other <laughs> things he's sending us. Um, Something involving chicken litter and and a few other liquid things that we can spray from this company he works for that's supposed to cause our plants to grow. Okay. Um, and so our neighbors constantly complain about how long it has taken them to get a yard to grow, like yeah. three plus years Yikes. to get a yard to, to take uh, in that clay. And I'm very optimistic um, okay. My wife would tell you I'm too optimistic okay. about what, what these things are going to do. But shout out to the father. Yeah, I may have to touch base with you about getting in touch with him and his company because uh, I finally bought the tree. I bought a oh, tree. Oh, you did bought a, you bought a tree, it, huh? It's going to come in a couple of weeks. And so I want to make sure that thing gets off to a, a strong start mm. in the backyard. So yeah. I, might, I might be having a conversation with you about. We can get you some Holganics. I can, go, I can send you to Mark. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. All right, so uh, we've got Lance Armstrong, 30 for 30 this week. We talked about another special announcement, deconversion stories, Emmett Smith, foreigners in the former prophets, growing grass. We've done it. Bacteria. I think I think we can say mission accomplished. You good with that? I'm good. Yeah. All right. So uh, next week we'll pick up the deconversion stories uh, and, and that sort of thing but um until next time the lord bless y'all real good later